Well, good morning, y'all. So uh, today we are continuing in our series entitled The Story of the Bible, uh, where we're going to walk through the entire Bible and hopefully try to connect the dots from Genesis to Revelation as we kind of go through what we consider to be some of the highlights of the Bible. The last couple of weeks, however, before we kind of launched into the pages of the Bible, uh, we've spent some time just talking about can we really trust the Bible? Do we really buy into this thing? Do we really think it's the authoritative, inspired word of God? And if so, how does that impact our lives? And if you've been contemplating that, today is your first big test. If you've accepted that the Bible is true, then you have to then, by default, accept the fact that you were created by God and that the universe is no accident. So we're going to transition from that and we're going to walk right into the Bible right now and begin uh, for the next few months to walk through the scriptures. And we're going to begin at the beginning. So Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, the very first sentence of the Bible, has four very important words. In the beginning, God. You ever think about that? Before anything was, God was. Somewhere out there in the nothingness, God was there. I always wonder, don't you, that if God created me, then where the heck did God come from? Right? I mean, can you think back into infinity to think that God was always there. I mean, that's enough to like make your brain smoke, I think. Well, the verse 2, it goes on, and it begins to introduce us to the first moments before the world began, and it says, now the earth was formless and void or empty. So pretty much God started with nothing, like this ball of dirt spinning out into the universe. And then we see something interesting because we catch a glimpse of God in those very first few moments before the world begins, and it says this, Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What was he doing? Hovering there. When you go back to the original Hebrew language, that word for hover has the idea to brood. So I like to think of it as we catch God in this moment of contemplation just before he does his first bit of creation, contemplating what is the design that he's going to make, much like a potter sitting in front of the lump of clay making a decision about how he's going to approach it and what he's going to do. Now, when we look at God in Genesis, it's a little unique in the Bible because the Hebrew word that's used for God here, um, which is distinct from other places in the Bible, in fact, there's 32 times God is referred to here in this way. Every time that God is referred to as the creator, he is always called Elohim, which in Hebrew has this idea of being all-powerful and 
the majesty and the power of God. I mean, we're used to hearing names of God like Abba, Father. Jehovah, the names that are more approachable where we hear the love and compassion of God, where he is in relationship with his people. But every time the Bible describes God as the creator, it always refers to him as Elohim, which basically is saying you are now being introduced to the God who has total control and power over the universe. So as we step into these pages of the Bible, those first four words are important to understand what it is we believe. Do you believe in those words that say, in the beginning, God? So uh, when you uh, talk about creation, uh, one of the most important passages in the Bible is actually in the New Testament, and it's in the book of Romans, and it says this, and and really focus in on this verse right now, because I think it's really important. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been created so that people are without excuse. So in this passage, the Apostle Paul, who's believed to be the the author of of Romans, is saying that God's taken a pretty hard-line position, that he's done everything that he can. He has given us enough information to understand and to believe that God exists. This is saying that even if you don't crack open a Bible, even if you don't walk into a church, that you should be able to know that God exists because when you look around at the creation of the world, there is something inside of you that intuitively understands in the beginning. I gave the statistic a few weeks ago from the Gallup polls, and and it's been pretty consistent. 97% of the population believe in God. Why? Not everybody's going to church. Not everybody's reading the Bible. Not everybody considers themselves to be a Christian. There is something in the way that we were created that connects us to our Creator, and intuitively, we know. We feel that. As we look around at all of creation, we intuitively know that there is a designer behind all of this. However, there is no question that scientists today want us to believe that the cosmos began at a moment of what is called the Big Bang, right? Somewhere between 10 and 20 billion years ago. They believe that the planet's features were molded by natural forces, not created, while life developed gradually from a simple organism to more complex until eventually human beings evolved into existence. Is it possible, and this is kind of a radical thought, but is it possible 
that both creation and evolution, two apparently contradictory ideas, can be two different ways of looking at the exact same thing. Is it possible? When you look at the theory of evolution and you break it down, there are a whole lot of holes in the theory, and there are many missing links in the theory of evolution. So evolution should never be held up as an absolute truth that it can be scientifically proven because it can't and it hasn't. I'm not going to um, argue that there aren't some really smart people out there, people who are smarter than me, who have come up with these theories about the origin of life, and many smart people have accepted them as being true. And as Christians who aren't degreed in science, it can be a little intimidating for us. But when you speak of the theory of evolution, you need to understand a couple things. First of all, there's a difference between microevolution and macroevolution, right? So microevolution, for example, there are more than 200 kinds of dogs that have evolved over time, but they are still evolved from the same species. And so, for instance, our little dog, Ellie, whom we love in our house, um, her parents apparently were a, was a Bernese mountain dog who apparently had a romantic evening with a toy poodle. <laughs> and out came our little Ellie here, who has evolved into loving 80s rap as well. So my wife absolutely hates that picture. Um, or by contrast, we have this guy here who is, uh, I think we have a picture of the next one, don't we? Yeah, this guy is just pathetic. I mean, um, this guy has fur, a webbed feet, beaver tail. He lays, lays eggs and has a bill that looks like a duck. I'm just telling you, there was some young duck that was out doing something it shouldn't have been doing. And it's a case of microevolution gone very, very wrong. That's, uh, that's just so bad. Um, so I don't know of anybody who doubts evolution from a microevolution sense, right? It can be proven scientifically, still created by God, but um, these things may have just taken a slight turn from their original design. Macroevolution is really what we're talking about. And this is the theory that says that all life um, came from non-living matter over millions and billions of years from one simple cell. Life became increasingly more complex through mutations and natural selection. Um, so under the theory of macroevolution, here are kind of the sequence of events that occurred. Uh, you begin with a single-celled amoeba, which changes over time to a multicellular life something that eventually gave birth to a fish. And the fish then evolved into an amphibian. The amphibian eventually evolved into a reptile. And then there was this jump into an ape. And then um, ape ultimately led to man. But here's what most people don't know. Is that, you know, when Darwin formulated this theory in the mid-1800s, he admitted that if this kind of gradual change occurred over time, there should be plenty of fossils that were the so-called transitional links or fossils that filled in the gaps between different kinds of animals. So, for instance, 
you know, if a fish became an amphibian, there should be some life form that was half and half at some point, right? It was a fish, amphibian, fish thing, and we should find fossil evidence of that thing, but nothing like that exists, and those transitional links are just missing. So Darwin actually... Um, it's a, a great quote for him because he recognized the weakness of his own theory. He said, innumerable transitional forms must have existed, but why do we not find them embedded in countless numbers in the crust of the earth? Geology assuredly does not reveal any such finely graduated organic change. And this is perhaps the most obvious and serious objection by which you can argue against the theory of evolution. So he recognized the weakness in his own theory. However, he really believed that once more fossils were unearthed, the so-called missing links would be discovered and revealed, and his theory would eventually be proven true through these missing links. But fast forward 100 years or so, Dr. Stephen Jay Gould, who um, was a leading evolutionist when he was alive, Um, He talks about this, and he says, The trade secret among all scientists is this. After 120 years of fossil research after Darwin, it has become abundantly clear that the fossil record will not confirm Darwin's prediction. So here's what I want you to hear about all of that. The theory of evolution is just that. It is a theory. And I want to be clear about something else. Neither the biblical account of creation or the theory of evolution can be proven scientifically. The irony is, in my humble opinion, it takes just as much, if not more, faith for me to believe in the theory of evolution than it does in the creation account. But there are people who are still out there, and I know you have them in your lives, who will say that your faith is baseless because you can't prove it. And there's people that just sit and they try to criticize and poke holes in the Christian faith, but notice that they never ever provide any alternative solutions that they themselves can prove. As Christians, we should never be embarrassed for believing that the biblical account of creation is true. Because as more and more archaeological digs happen, they support the reliability of the Bible, but neither archaeology or geology has ever been able to prove evolution in uncovering any of the transitional links taking us from an amoeba to a man. It is absolutely just a theory. When you get down to it, the Bible doesn't explain anything scientifically how creation came into existence. What it does tell us is one really, really important thing. In the beginning, God. In Hebrews chapter 11, It says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. 
By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. In other words, it's saying that from nothing, God created something. By its very definition, faith accepts the fact that there are some things that we just don't know, and we will never know this side of heaven. And I've listened to a lot of debates between scientists and creationists who want to debate, and they go back and forth and put all these facts out there and try to prove that they're right, but at the end of the debate, it always comes down to the same common denominator. We just don't know. We don't know. So when you say that the world started with a big bang, while they can't prove it, I can't refute it. Nor can they disprove that the Big Bang came as a result of God causing it to happen, where God said, bang, and all the isotopes and you know, went bonkers and started colliding and exploding and creating. We don't know. We don't know his methodology for how he created the world. But I can tell you this. By faith, I believe that the universe is no accident. That we live in a very, very precise world where everything works together perfectly, brilliantly. I mean, when you just think about the basics, the earth rotating on its axis while at the same time orbiting around the sun at the exact distance that we need to be from the sun so that the earth doesn't get turned into some big fireball. All the while, the moon is orbiting around us without ever colliding. One little slip, one mistimed movement, and boom, we are like all finished. But it's worked perfectly and brilliantly from the beginning of Time. And you have to ask yourself, does that seem just accidental to you? One of the world's leading experts in molecular science is Dr. James Tour. He's down at Rice University. And this guy is an absolute genius and a scientist. And he, he said this. He said, I stand in awe of God because of what he has done through his creation." He said, only a rookie who knows nothing about science would ever say that science takes away from faith. If you really study science, he said, it will bring you closer to God. That is exactly the way science should be. Not that you're trying to prove God or prove evolution or whatever. If you're out there trying to find the origin of the universe, great. If you find it, unbelievable. But... It shouldn't be that you're trying to prove one point or another. And as he says, that the more that he studies science, the closer it brings him to God because he understands the intelligent design of the universe. It truly, you know, it really is true for me. It really takes more faith for me to believe in the theory of evolution or that everything is accidental 
than it does for me to believe that God is the creator of the universe. Just the complexity of every aspect of this world points to the existence of a creator. I mean, when you look at, you know, just the animal world, right? I mean, there are some crazy stuff out there, like the Gentoo penguins. You ever hear of them? The males search through piles of pebbles until they finally find the right pebble, which is smooth and and beautiful. And when they find the right pebble, they take that to the female Gentoo penguin of their dreams, and they lay it at her feet. And if she thinks that this is her guy, she will pick up that pebble and put it in her nest forever, and they will go off and live happily ever after. Isn't that beautiful? Or sea otters who love each other so much that when they're out in the ocean and they're floating and they're taking a nap, they actually hold hands so they won't drift away from each other. Isn't that cute? That's amazing. I'm obsessed with dung beetles. When I was uh, on safari in South Africa, I ran into these guys, and it was amazing. Uh, These were as interesting as lions to me. Um, But So the male will roll that pile of dung around until it becomes bigger and smoother and better and I'm sure smellier until finally he sees, you know, the female dung beetle. And it all comes down to women, really. The things that we do are crazy. But she sees this (laughs) ball of dung. She falls in love, jump on the ball of dung, and they will roll around for the rest of their lives. I mean, you can't just make this stuff up. I mean, it's crazy. But, but here's my point. I really feel like we just kind of like live like this, where we just aren't paying attention to what's going on in the world and the amazing design. Like I was just sitting on a Zoom call Friday, and all of a sudden I look out my window and there's a bald eagle that just flies by. I mean, how incredible is that? I mean, I think we just have to look up and to see the beautiful complexities of this world. And as the Apostle Paul says, that when you look around this world, you can't help but know and understand that there is a God. We are without excuse to know that. I mean, we have a God who cares enough about the small details of every one of these little things that are designed perfectly in the world. And if he, if he cares about all of those little details, how much more does he care about you? He's not only our Abba, our Father, who loves us, but he is the Elohim who has the power to help us to overcome whatever obstacles we face in our lives. At the end of the day, I'm not going to leave my life to some fatalistic roll of the dice. I want to stand in front of the Elohim who is powerful enough to give me eternity. I realize that the older I get, there's just like this, even today, it's just like I'm contemplating some stuff and I'm just, as I'm, I'm kind of at a crossroads in my career and I'm just going, you know, I am not fulfilled by the stuff of this earth. So what does that mean as far as the transition for me? Because I know that the heart of My joy is found when the winds of heaven begin to blow. And as I'm sitting there in the middle of creation, I know that I am sitting in the house of God, the God created. And I look around and I watch the sunset and I see the eagle and I just hear the birds singing. And you go, man, 
man, how can you not believe? I want to be connected with the creator of my soul. And it's in those moments that I know that those first four words of the Bible are absolutely true. In the beginning, 